0: you have not been with us, we have been doing a little sort of a mini-survey in the book of First Peter, uh, not really verse by verse so much It's just kind of looking at it thematically. We've been talking about living in exile, and Peter uses in this book an Old Testament metaphor to describe the dynamic of living in a, in a, um, a, uh, a spiritual perspective that is radically different from the culture around you. That was the case uh, with some of the early Christians living in the Roman Empire. And it's also, I think, somewhat true of us today. Uh, so just by way of review, we've, we've looked at a couple different dynamics related to that. In chapter 1, we talked about sort of the focus, the, the, the drive of the world, and, and the motivation of the world really is very much today as it was in Rome. The acquisition of wealth and power. And those are the things that will get us to where we want to be, whereas in the kingdom of God, our motivation really is to learn to love, which is very radically different than that. We're not so concerned about wealth and power as we are just being in the image of Jesus and learning to love one another, and that's our focus in life. Chapter 2, we talked about the moon that heals, and that, uh, again, the world's perspective very often is retaliation, paybacks. If somebody hurts me, I hurt them. Uh, But we, we looked at the reality that that doesn't bring healing. That all it does is perpetuate hurt and perpetuate pain. The only way that we really uh, get healing is to take our woundedness to Jesus and allow Him to bring healing to us. And then last week we looked at Jesus being Lord over all. And because He's Lord overall, we trust in Him. We don't trust in the empire. We don't trust in uh, you know uh, the economy, uh, the military, the government. Those are all things that can fall short. They're not bad things. They're just things that... Uh, if we put our ultimate trust in them, we'll, we'll ultimately let us down. We're only going to ever know abundant life uh, in Christ because He promises that we will. So today I'm going to actually wrap this little series up. I've got some other things that I want us to, uh, to look at. We're going to do a few verses in chapter 4 kind of as context and then chapter 5. I think today is a relevant topic. Um, our title this morning is All Your Anxiety. John Wimber used to say, I looked up that word all in the Greek. It means all. So uh, we're talking about all of your anxiety today, and what do we do about that? So let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, would you help us to uh, really just uh, take your word to heart this morning and learn to bring our anxiousness, our worry, our care and concern to you? That your spirit would touch the hearts of your people this morning, Lord, in a fresh way and in a real way, in a tangible way. That we would genuinely walk in peace in a way that is different than the world around us. In your name we pray, Amen. A couple of verses in chapter four, and again, just sort of to set the context. Uh, verses twelve and thirteen, Peter says, "Dear friends." Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. You remember, Peter's writing to a group of folks that he calls exiles. They are not actually exiles. They're not displaced. Uh, They're in their homeland, but they are spiritually disconnected from culture. And he's writing to folks that are in, it's not a, can't see it very well, but they're in several provinces on the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Rome is kind of in the middle there, And that black circle, is the group of cities and and peoples that he is writing to. It's in that part of the Roman Empire, in the eastern part there, where something called the Cult of the Emperor began. And the Cult of the Emperor was uh, actually, just as it describes, worship of the emperor, Rome started as a republic, and then as they became uh, more sort of warlike and conquered other peoples and conquered other nations, it sort of uh, shifted into an empire and eventually shifted to this place where the people actually bowed down and were required to worship the the emperor and the empire. And so it was in the eastern part. Uh, of the empire, kind of the furthest away from Rome, where that was the most pronounced. Um, and again, you can't see it very, very well, you can't read it, but the city of Pergamum is in that area. Pergamum uh, was one of the provinces that Peter was writing this letter to. It's also, uh, as it would be, one of the seven cities that the Apostle John writes to in the book of Revelation, and I want to look at that for just a moment. Revelation chapter 2, John says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, and then he says, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword, I know where you live. I love that. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, and yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith to me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So John commends these people in Pergamum for their faithfulness, despite the fact that he says they live Uh, in the place where Satan has his throne. It was in Pergamum that the temple to the Emperor Augustus was constructed and where people were forced to bow down and worship Caesar. And so it's that place that John says is where Satan has his throne. And these are the people that Peter is writing to. They're people that are under pressure as Christians. They're under pressure to bow to Caesar, and to worship uh, the emperor and what he represents in the world. So when he talks about a fiery ordeal, he, he that's not metaphoric. He's talking about an actual fiery ordeal. They're going through an incredibly challenging time that is very, very real. Uh, and, and this is why he's writing to them. Because it's not easy. It's not easy to follow Jesus in a time and in a place and in a culture that is radically different from those things that we believe as followers of Christ. This is a uh, pretty short letter, and again, we've kind of done a survey, just picked a I, I've sort of picked a few verses from each chapter. I would encourage you to, though, to read the whole book through. It's five chapters long, fairly short, and in those five chapters, seventeen times, Peter talks about suffering, and he reminds his audience often that Christ suffered at the hands of the empire and that they, too, are now suffering at the hands of the empire. It's an anxious time for them to be living in. If you can kind of, I always try to just sort of put myself into the story to get a feel for what it would be like. You're living in Pergamum and, you know first generation after Jesus, 80 A.D. or so. Maybe you're a contractor, carpenter working on building, or maybe you, I don't know, work in the marketplace selling produce or fish or something. I don't know, but you've got a job and you're working away and you've got your family and you're trying to provide for your family and you become a Christian. You begin to learn about Jesus and grow and worship Him and uh, at the entrance to the marketplace is this... uh, idol of Caesar, and you are required to, when you walk past that, to take some incense and put it in the idol and bow down before it, and you don't want to do that. You're not going to do that because you realize that that's that's not God, and you worship another God. And one of your neighbors didn't bow down and worship at the entrance to the marketplace, and they were taken and put in prison. And now rumors are that they might be killed. So there's a little bit of anxiety connected to that. I want to just say this. Living in an empire is anxiety-inducing. Any empire. It doesn't matter. By nature, it's just anxiety-inducing. Empires produce anxiety. They really do. Uh, Especially related to two things. I think two areas where we come in conflict with sort of empire and the kingdom of God are primarily economy and security. Those are basic human needs. And we need, to be, we need to know that we are going to have what we need to live, right? Basic, I want to make sure I'm provided for. I want to have enough to have food and clothing and shelter and, you know, electricity or transportation or whatever it is, just kind of be provided for. I want to know that I'm going to have that. And I want to know that I'm going to be safe. Those are the things that are kind of the basic ground level. And typically in an empire, the tendency is to put your faith in the empire for those things. And the empire will say, hey, we'll take care of you. We'll make sure that you're provided for, that you have enough. We'll keep you safe if you just trust in us. We'll meet your needs. Your prosperity will be safe and secure in us. And chapter 5 Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on Him, on Jesus, because He cares for you. And we come to the understanding and the truth that really only God can take our anxiety, that anything else will fall short of really carrying that for us. Only God has an unconditional, self-sacrificial love for you. And it's not easy to live in that. Let me just ask. Does anybody ever feel any anxiety? A few of you are honest. The rest of you are not. No, i just kidding. But we live in a stress-induced world. It's just stressful. I, I mean, it really is. The, the, You know, and the whole, let's be honest here, the, the uh, you know, technology, I've, I jokingly say technology is not my friend. I usually say that when I can't get it to do what I want it to do. But the truth is, with the internet and and satellite, you know, a, a cable and all this, we have this wonderful thing now called 24-hour news cycle. And it is just amazing. When I wake up in the morning, I look at my phone and I have alerts on my phone. And if If there was an earthquake in Indonesia or a shooting in New York City or some other event that happened somewhere else in the world while I was asleep, I know about it when I get up. And if I'm awake when it happens, it just blinks and and I know about it in real time. We know about everything that happens when it happens. Fifty years ago, that was not the case. Fifty years ago, it would have taken much longer for that information to travel to where we are. A hundred years ago, it may have taken days or even weeks for us to know about things that happened in other parts of the world. Throughout most of history, the reality is that if something happened in another part of the world, we might not ever know about it. And if it happened in a remote corner of the world, the, the, the probability is that we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't know about it. But today, we know about it right now. And I'll be honest, it's a blessing and a curse. It really is. Uh, look, I'm not saying it's all bad, okay? Uh, I, I watch the news. I do. I watch the news. I read the news. And and I want to be informed. I, I really do. I, I've shared with you before, I get, the, uh, I get Google alerts for Nicaragua. I have friends in Nicaragua, and many of you have been there with me. We travel there, and, and we have just churches and people we love. And they're in a, a place of a lot of turmoil right now. So every day in my inbox, I get... Uh, an email that has links to every report from every news agency in the world about Nicaragua that day. And I can scan through those and read them. And it's kind of cute because sometimes there will be one from some little hometown paper in North Dakota because their youth group took a missions trip to Nicaragua, and I can see and read about that. But lately, that's not the case. Those things aren't happening. Right now, what I'm reading about is the turmoil and the protesting and the shooting and the things that are happening there, the violence. And so I, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what's going on with my friends there. And I want to be able to pray for them. And so I read those things. Um, but here's the thing. here, here, here I'm just going to be kind of honest. Some people just feed on it. And it's just on all the time. And, and I, I want to, I guarantee you this. I, I tell you this. I guarantee if, if you feed on that and it's on all the time, your anxiety level will go up, promise. There is no way that your anxiety level cannot go up if you watch that all the time because we do not have the ability to process that much information that rapidly and it will make you worry. You know, and here's the thing. This is the, this is the other side of that coin is that if you watch that all the time, They have to pay for that somehow, and they do that by advertising, and the whole advertising and marketing industry, and again, I'm not against marketing, I'm not against advertising, I get it, but it doesn't help, because, you know, the advertising is going to tell you that if you don't have this particular product that will make you uh, fitter and hotter and richer and cooler, then you're a loser, and you are destined to, uh, you know, a lonely, uh, meaningless existence somewhere. If you don't have Axe body spray, that's you. You're just sad all day. Our, our culture is anxiety-inducing. It really is. Um, let me, here's, here's, here's a test. Yeah, test. Just be honest. Do you ever find yourself when you're driving getting a little frustrated and intense with the people ahead of you because they're not going fast enough. You want them to speed up and go faster. They're in your way. But you really don't have to be anywhere. Yeah, okay. That's it right there. Uh, I, I, as, as mentioned, I spent a lot of time in Latin America and Latin America is very different than here. Everything. Moves at a snail's pace. Everything. Church, we start five minutes late. We joke about vineyard time. Latin America, church is supposed to start at 10 o'clock. Might start at 10.15. Might start at 10.20. Might start at 10.35. Service goes an hour and a half or two. Or two and a half. Or maybe three. And it doesn't matter how late the service started or how long it ran. When it's done, everybody hangs out and talks for at least another hour. And it drives me absolutely insane. And I'm just going, come on, people, let's go. And I want to go do whatever's next, which is probably nothing. But it just bugs me that it's so slow. Everything is slow. I'm like, just go. And then I realize, wait a minute. I'm the problem. They seem to be enjoying themselves. There's this interesting little thing called the uh, Global Peace Index. You ever hear that? This is, it's, this is a, if you want to look this up, it's a fascinating read, really is. Based on a number of criteria, there's, I forget, 22 or 23 different criteria. They, they evaluate and rank peace in different parts of the world, different countries of the world. Not like lack of war peace, but internal peace. The peacefulness of the people living in that region. And they evaluate, there's 163 different countries that are evaluated and that includes 99.7% of the world's population. So there's a few random dudes out in the jungle somewhere that didn't get evaluated. But everybody else is included in this and it is fascinating to look at this. So here you go. This is this year 2018, the most peaceful places in the world. Iceland is number 1. The most I don't know why Iceland is number 1. It's cold there, right? I don't know. But they they are the high the highest level of peace people are at peace more in Iceland than anywhere else followed by New Zealand, and that one I do get. I've been to New Zealand, and it's, it's nice. It's very quiet there, it's a little island. It's peaceful, it's a lot of sheep, but it's a very nice place. Austria, Portugal, Denmark are the top five. This, though, is what fascinates me. Number six on the Global Peace Index is Canada, our neighbors to the north. So, so look, let me let's just some perspective here. So, first of all, Canada is not very far away. It's close. Second of all, they're not that different than us. It's pretty similar. Uh, Third of all, you know, most of these other places where there's a high peace index, they're small, little, tiny countries. Canada's a big country. And yet they're number six on the global peace index. Very peaceful place to be. The bottom of the list looks like this. No surprises. Last, the bottom seven from 157 to 163 Libya, Yemen, Somalia, Iraq, South Sudan, Afghanistan, and Syria. All either Middle Eastern or Northern Africa, not a peaceful place to be. High stress levels in those places. Um, where, oh, where are we? Where is the U.S.? The United States of America comes in at number 121. Um, couple things I find interesting there is that we are lower than both El Salvador and Honduras, two Central American countries that we would identify as being very dangerous places to be. El Salvador being kind of the home of MS-13 and the gangs and, and all that. Honduras, I was in Honduras last year, and it's a place of turmoil. They're in political unrest right now, and yet they both have a higher level of peace than we do. I would just say one you know little... Uh, note, at 121, we're a heck of a lot closer to Syria and Afghanistan than we are to Canada. Um, and look, you, you don't misunderstand me here. This is a great country. It's it's a great place to live. I'm very happy to live here. I'm very thankful I live here. It's a nice place to be. Uh, makes me think about Canada. <laughs> but overall, generally speaking, I like it here. Uh but can we be honest and say it's not all that peaceful? It's just not. Um, cast all of your anxiety on Him. He cares for you. You know, I I think about, we, we said in our introduction the first week, our our, our our purpose as Christians is to learn to love. Our purpose is really to follow Jesus and, and live in His Light in His Word. Um, we, we have what we call a witness. We, 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 we represent who Jesus is today. The way people will come to know Him is through, through us. So how do we do that? And, and I, I think there are sort of some, you know, traditional methods that we can do. You know, uh, you could put a, a Jesus fish sticker on your car. That's always really good. I, I would like to do a survey. I, here's my, this is my suspicion. I'm just going yeah, yeah. to... I don't know if anybody has ever gotten saved because of a Jesus sticker on somebody's car. That's just my guess. I'm just... I, I, don't, I don't know. Or maybe what if we decided we really were going to cast all our anxiety on Him and really walk in the peace of the presence of God day in and day out. What do you think that would do to the people around us? If as Christians... We weren't as worried and anxious and fearful as the people around us, but just walked in peace. What do you think that would say? In the Roman Empire, the thing that spoke the loudest to people about Christians was the fact that they exhibited peace in the midst of the trials and the fiery ordeal that they were living under. You remember that little scene in Acts where Paul and Silas are in prison? They've been flogged and beaten. Now they're in the stocks, you know, their head and their arms are in the thing, and they're in the inner cell, which means they don't know what the outcome is here. We might be left here to die. We might be killed here. We don't know what's going to happen here. So it's late at night. It's midnight. And they're, they're afraid. They're screaming, God, help us. Oh, and they're so worried. No, that's not what it says, does it? What were they doing? They're praying and singing hymns to God. It says, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So here's these guys that are praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners are going, what is up with these guys? How do they do that? How, how, how do they keep that level of peace in the midst of all of this? In the early church, pe- people were converted to Christianity not because some dude was standing on the corner with a Turner Burns sign. You can't see it very good, but I'll tell you, that guy does not look peaceful to me. He's ah, looks kind of frightening. I, I would avoid that guy. Huh? Uh Here's the thing, people weren't converted through methods like that. Honestly, they were converted because they saw their neighbors living in a level of peace that they did not understand. That's what it was. And they go, whatever that is, what that family has, what that guy has, I want that, I want to live my life that way. Tell me about how do you do this? Oh, it's simple, it's just the presence of Jesus in my life. You know, in the early church when people did come to the Lord, they were not baptized immediately. They went through a a time, usually a a period of a year or so of of discipleship and mentoring before they would be baptized because they wanted them to really fully understand what it is they were getting themselves into. And, 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 And more interesting to me is the fact that during that year of discipleship, they really didn't learn a lot about doctrine. It wasn't about believing the right things. It was about, this is how you live in peace. This, this we want you to learn to pray and we and we want you to learn to worship and we want you to learn to be able to be quiet before the lord you know i our movement vineyard has some roots in the quaker church and i admire the quaker church and its foundations for a lot of things but probably the one that i admire the most is the reality that they would they were committed to just sitting and waiting on the Lord, not doing anything. Let's just wait in the presence of God and just wait. And if God speaks, then yay, if He doesn't, that's okay too. We'll just be quiet and wait. And if I if I could if if I could encourage us today in any one thing, I would say this let's let's slow down. Let, let's just take time to learn to be in the presence of God. Do you ever feel here's another little test? Do you ever feel like you have to be doing something all the time? No. <laughs> Sometimes I do. I feel like I gotta be doing something. And I go, no, it's okay to be doing nothing right now. It's okay to stop. I, I will tell you this. I the, the, the keeping the Sabbath is the most broken commandment. Most often broken commandment. Of the Ten Commandments, keeping the Sabbath is the one that's broken the most. Most of us would look at the other ones don't murder steal commit adultery we go no i'm not those are bad things i'm not going to do that but the sabbath well you know i got i'm busy i got stuff i got to do and the lawn needs to be mowed and every, you know so we are easily persuaded to leave that one behind and i would say just take a break just slow down and be at peace allow the presence of god the peace of god will fill your heart he promises it will but you have to let it in Our old buddy James, I, this is a great verse. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. There will be righteousness accrued in your life and in the lives of others if you determine to walk in peace. He cares for you. That's the why. The motivation of God is in giving you peace as he cares for you. Here's the deal, guys. Seventeen times in five chapters, Peter talks about suffering. He never promises life won't be hard. He never promises we won't go through difficulties. But what he does promise is this, that you will never go through them alone. He will not leave you alone. He will walk through whatever... You face with you, you'll never suffer alone, or you don't have to ever suffer alone. Some people do, and it's tragic, because they don't know that they don't have to. He promises to be with you. The other thing is this, to keep in mind, in the middle of an anxiety-ridden world is that any challenges we face, any hardships we endure, any suffering we do go through will not be pointless. It will all bear fruit in our lives. This is uh, Peter's conclusion, and if you guys want to come up and we'll close with this. The end of the letter, he says this, and the God of all grace, which again, that word all means all, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Strength, firm, steadfast. Those are the things that will come to us as we go through difficult times. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand.